0: When the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God revealed himself to Moses before he gave his ten words of commandment for a second time on Mount Sinai after the Golden Calf disaster, The first words out of his mouth were Yahweh, Yahweh, the merciful and gracious God. These qualities of mercy and grace describe what God did through his only Son who was hidden for another 15 years after what took place on Mount Sinai in the wilderness. Now, mercy and forgiveness, or mercy is, sorry, mercy is the forgiveness of deserved punishment, okay, of judgment. For those who do repent. And grace is God's gift of the Holy Spirit to bring people to the point of repentance, that they may repent. Both are necessary because all people are born spiritually dead. In fact, People do not even know they need to repent until God's Holy Spirit convinces them of their need for his mercy and grace um, through God's Son. Now, God's Son came proclaiming, you can read it in Mark's Gospel right in the beginning, the time is Fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, in his first letter to his genuine, which means legitimately born, Timothy was born of the Spirit because he received the gospel that Paul had given him. Paul writes to Timothy, Um, whom he had just appointed. Timothy had just been appointed the bishop in Ephesus. And what we heard, the Apostle Paul brings together mercy and grace with faith in the Lord who is the Messiah, Savior. And Jesus brings people, sinners, to salvation. Now, the passage we heard this morning tells how the Lord gave Paul mercy and grace even though um, in ignorance he was the first or the worst of all sinners in his prideful violence against God's people who were in Jesus Christ. Now, as a Jew who was advancing in training under Gamaliel, ahead of all of his peers. He knew God's word. He knew Yahweh's self-revelation that I began with, that he is merciful and gracious. And perhaps, as I meditated on this passage this week, I think very much that Paul wrote this testimony that we heard this morning with God's word to Moses about being merciful and gracious, the character of God influencing him as he wrote this. So now, let's take a deeper look at Paul's testimony that concludes with worship. So it divides into two parts and they're complementary and they each have a different emphasis but on the same character of God. Paul thanks the Lord who strengthened him and considered him faithful to serve and showed to him a persecutor, mercy, and then the Lord's grace overflowed. Now, the first half of part one can be summed up. Paul's telling Timp- Timothy that he has thanks to the Lord who strengthened him because he considered him faithful to serve. He formerly being a violent persecutor. This is so amazing. Let's look at it phrase by phrase. He starts off saying, I'm having thanks to the one Who strengthened me, Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is rightly thanking the only one, the only one who can give people strength to do God's will. We can't do God's will in our own strength, but Jesus can strengthen us. He was strengthened at his conversion in Damascus, which we can find in Acts 9. And then he goes on, because he considered me faithful. Here's a key word in this passage faith. There's five times different aspects of faith are mentioned in this passage. Okay? Um, And it's interesting because if we were to read. The very introduction, an ancient letter in the first century would say, to someone, from someone, and then have a brief introduction. And he wrote, to Timothy, my genuine son in faith. So that's the sixth time faith is used within a few paragraphs. But here, Paul is talking about an ongoing faith, a continual faith of obedience to Jesus' commands, as the next phrase will show, that fit him for service to God. So he considered me faithful. Why? Having put me into service. Service. This is ministry. All who would serve God need to have both faith in the Messiah... And be strengthened by him. It takes faith, which leads to strength, which leads to ministry. And then he concludes this first part saying, The one formerly being blasphemous, a persecutor, and proudly violent. That's the best way to translate that word. So here is an evil triad of qualities, and each and every one violates God's Torah of instruction for right living. And Paul actually gives them an ascending order of wickedness. Okay? And nothing, okay, blasphemy's bad, persecution's bad, but nothing is worse than prideful harming of another person created in God's image. That's about as low as we can go. But then he continues in the second part of this first half. He says, I received mercy because I acted in ignorance, but grace overflowed with faith with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. It's all throughout the New Testament in Paul's letters. In Christ Jesus. That's where it takes place. So he says, but I receive mercy, because being ignorant, I acted in unbelief. Mercy. Mercy. Again, this is it. We, we need to really grasp mercy. This whole passage is about it. It's what every sinner needs from God. We all need his mercy, people. Each and every one of us. And we can thank God with Paul that whenever we turn from ourselves in our way of doing things to God in faith, He will forgive us of the judgment we deserve so we may live in the joy of his wonderful love. That's what God intends us to live. Lives of joy. Not necessarily happiness, but lives of joy, enjoying his amazing love. We sang about it. Love divine, all love's excelling. Now notice, Paul received mercy because of his ignorance and his unbelief. Unbelief. So this is the second use. Remember I said there's five times faith is here in this passage. This is a lack of faith. Paul didn't have the right kind of faith. But that's okay. In the Torah, and I've noticed that every year when I've read Leviticus over and over and over again, especially in chapters 4 and 5. It says, if anyone sins unintentionally, out of ignorance, here is the sacrifice you bring to Yahweh at the altar, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. God is always willing to forgive sins of ignorance. And... um. Just uh, unintentional type sins. And you can also read this in Numbers 15, which gives a whole bunch of unintentional sins. Now, I have to give one word of warning here. It's important. God is very complex, He's very paradoxical, He's so unlike us, and we should not take license. So I I will remind you, I hope you read the Vestry Voices this week. There's an article in there about Noah and the ark and and what happened there. Um, And again, I can say this is very important and read it because it wasn't my article. Mine was the weakest one there. But God is raising up all kinds of amazing disciples in our body. And if People continue to hard-heartedly rebel and be stubborn against God and oppose them. There comes a point when God must discipline and sometimes severely. So there's a very unique phrase in Hebrew, a figure of speech, that the Revised Standard Version gets right. And if anyone sins with a high hand, not just once or twice making a mistake, I'll be honest with you, I was reminded this morning, there's times I've been obscene before God because I haven't understand what he's done and I thought he made a mistake and I'll rant on for about five or ten minutes and then I'll just get weak in the knees and I will just cry before God and say, please forgive me. That's not sinning with a high hand. That's just a failure to understand God. But somebody who continually shakes his fist at God is eventually going to be severely disciplined. And at the end of Numbers 15, there was a half-breed. His mother was a pagan. His father was an Israelite. And obviously, he followed his mother and he was executed for breaking the Sabbath. This was probably the last of many times when he worshipped a false god, when he should have been worshipping God and aff- offered sacrifices to demons. We just need to be careful that we don't get extreme that way. God won't forgive everything if we willfully, uh, without any ignorance and without just you know, flying off the handle because of our flesh... That is serious. But the good news is even all that Paul did, including killing followers of Jesus, he did it out of ignorance and zeal for the Torah, so he was forgiven. And then he said, and overflowed the grace of our Lord. Grace is the second great character quality of Yahweh overflowing to Paul along with mercy. And then with all faith and love in Christ Jesus. He finishes this first section so strong. This is the third use of faith. And both of these are gracious gifts. This flows out of grace. Okay? Faith is what we all need in order to please God and receive salvation and life that is life. More to come on that. But let me say, let us all thank God. Thank God for his grace in Christ Jesus. And now we get to that most important truth. In Christ Jesus. Now Christ is the Greek translation of the word anointed. Kings and priests were anointed. So when we're saying Christ, we're saying to the king and priest Anointed by God for all the earth. And then um, secondly, Jesus is the Greek translation of the word Savior. So putting it together, Paul is talking about God's king. The king of kings who's also the priest and is salvation. God's mercy, grace, faith, and love are for those and only for those who live in a continued, reconciled relationship with God in the Savior King. What does that mean? He's everything to us. We're constantly aware of his presence by the Holy Spirit. And we're responding to him and joyfully obeying all of his love commands. That's what it means with the help of the Holy Spirit. Part two, the king, the king came to save sinners of whom Paul is first. So he received mercy to indicate the Savior is patient to those who believe on him to life. Glory, glory to God. So this second part, can be summed up by a faithful word that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am first. But this is why I received mercy. There's that word again. So he starts with a faithful word. Pistos ha lagos. Paul uses these three words five times in his letters to the young bishops that he had appointed, Timothy and Titus and nowhere else. But I want to just summarize these five times because it's important, okay? He was mentoring them and they all have to do with different aspects of saving faith in Christ's church. Here, it's just so simple. Here's a faithful saying, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The next time he uses it is also in this letter. And he's describing who can be an elder. And an elder must not be a recent convert. But serving as an elder allows a man to grow in his faith. To have assurance that I'm saved. The third time he uses it again in this letter. And it's a command to exercise Godliness, exercise godliness because of the hope of the living God um, who saves those who believe. And then at the beginning of his second letter is the most difficult faithful saying in all of Scripture. And pastors have turned somersaults trying to preach on this. But basically what it says, there's two outcomes those who die with Christ have his life. But those who severely um, disown him, they just walk away from him, they will be disciplined. Because you see, Jesus must be faithful to who he is. He is the ultimate judge. Those who surrender to him and come to him in faith, he gives life to to its full. But those who rebel against him and shake their fist at him and don't repent, he disciplines them in the hope of bringing them to repentance. This is the New Testament version of Numbers 15. And then the final word in Titus, and I think I'm going to use it uh, for our Christmas sermon this year because it is so awesome. It says that God gives gives rebirth, a new birth in his mercy and love to the hope that we will live a life of devotion to him and devotion to doing that which is good, mercy and grace. And then we get to the heart of the passage, what it's all about He takes from this faithful saying, here's what it is. This is the faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world sinners to save. He ended with the word salvation. And this is full salvation, people. Yes, it's of the spirit, but also the soul and the body as well. When a person's dead spirit finally comes to life by the Holy Spirit, that soul is healed because the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word and put it into practice with our life in the body. It's His Word that He inspired. And when He gives us new birth and brings our dead spirit to life, everything changes. That is full salvation. But Paul can't resist saying this in all truth. When he's talking about sinners, he says, of whom? Foremost, first, I, am, I, me. He couldn't be more emphatic. He realizes the extent of his ignorant sins. And and I read some commentaries, and I've joked about this to Debbie and, and other close Christian friends it's pointless to just say, oh, I'm a horrible, wretched sinner. Nobody's as bad as me. It's in Scripture. Paul's the worst. Don't try to compete with him. But this truth is true. If it was true for Paul, it's also true for us. Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners. And then he says, and for this reason I receive mercy, here's that word again, so that in me the foremost, meaning foremost sinner, he might show his whole complete patience. And again, this is worth dwelling on a little bit. This is the second time Paul has now said he received mercy. The first time, he received mercy and forgiveness to be strengthened to serve, strengthened for ministry, strengthened to do the good works that were saved to do. This time, he applies mercy to the very heart of the matter, salvation and life. And we could say he's applying these two aspects in reverse order. Why would he start with the result of salvation in faith, rather than starting with the very basic principle, we've got nowhere until we're saved and have life. Well, there's a very good reason. Timothy had been saved for a long time, but now at 30 years old, he's appointed to an extremely responsible position. He's the bishop of Ephesus, which is essentially meaning all of Asia Minor. It was the chief church in Asia Meyer how would you like to be 30 years old and have spiritual responsibility for a whole country okay that's what he was so what did Timothy need to hear first no matter what service God is calling to you no matter how impossible it is in your own strength God will give you the mercy to serve him and oh yeah by the way if you have any doubts Timothy Remember back to your salvation when you receive the mercy that crossed you over from death to life so you can be a child of God. Okay, and then he says the Holy Spirit also inspired Peter when it comes to patience. I mean, God is patient, we hear that all the time, but the best example is at the end of Peter's second letter. Why is God patient? Why doesn't he just come back and put things right? He doesn't want anyone to perish. His desire is that all people would have opportunity to come to repentance leading to salvation. Why? Don't forget it. Jesus came to save sinners. And it's God's desire that every sinner be saved. And then lastly, he says, so that I can be an example, a type to be followed of those who are about to believe on him into life. Let's just think about this for a minute. So here's an extreme example. I already alluded to it. Let me spell it out. If God can save a sinner who acted in extreme ignorance as Paul did, then he can save any sinner who acts in ignorance and then repents and believes. What is the bottom life? Doing this leads to life. I should have said bottom line. I'm I'm rushing too fast and stumbling over my words. The life that we have in Jesus Yes, it's forever, it's eternal. But it is also abundant, full of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it has purpose. We are to bear fruit. We are to take that fruit of love to the whole world so that those who do not know God and are not reconciled and have not received his mercy and grace, they may receive his mercy and grace by our witness in words and deeds. Again, God wants everybody to be saved. And then um, to believe, that's a synonym for faith. It's the same word in Greek, pistos. And this is the fifth and final use where Paul says that God wants everybody to have continuous obedience of faith to receive God's threefold life in Christ by believing in him as the Savior King sent by God. Christ gives mercy to those in unbelief so that they can Believe in him. There's no excuse. God's mercy can bring us to saving faith. And after all of this, what else can Paul do but break into praise to the king of eternal ages, imperishable, unseen, only God, glory and honor forever. Let's look at this in a little bit more depth. literally says to the king of the eternal ages, Three things, imperishable, unseen, the only God. First of all, to the king with three qualities. God is the eternal sovereign king. I went back to Psalms. Psalm 2 says that God's son will be the king of all the nations on the earth. But Psalms 96 to 99 say Yahweh, the Trinity God, he is king of kings, the sovereign king. Now this immortal, unseen, and unique or only God, this is another triad. And I think by taking these three qualities of God, it's a hint in scripture. It doesn't hit you over the head and say, you know, this is the trinity. But it hints at the one God in three persons and then he concludes be honor and glory glory to the eternities of the eternities this is the plural of eternity i want to start with honor and glory this pair of words and i did a search in the original language pair of words for worshiping of god occurs four other times in scripture twice in Peter's letters. In his first letter, he begins and says, genuine faith that is refined by fire will result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus comes again. And then in his second letter, he's talking about Jesus' baptism and the voice from heaven. And he said, I was an eyewitness to this. Um, Jesus received honor and glory when his father spoke at his baptism. And then we can go to the last book of the Bible. And a multitude of angels say, The lamb who was slain is worthy of honor and glory and five other things. And then right after that, every creature... Every creature in all of creation sings to him who is sitting on the throne, the Father, and the Lamb, the Son. Blessing and honor and glory and power to the eternities of the eternities. The Holy Spirit inspired the same word, this powerful word for forever, both to Paul and to John. So God is eternal. And this figure of speech drives that home. So what's the bottom line? He says, Amen. And let us understand, Amen says this is true. What is the truth God wants us to know? All of these amazing qualities of God that I've been going on for 25 minutes about and many more, they're true Now, however, and I found this, this was a very hard sermon to write. It's difficult to put these qualities in English prose. These qualities are really, they require poets. So here's your life homework, and I'm going to give you some homework for today. Take home your bulletin insert and worship God by singing, Wonderful, Merciful, Saviour. And oh yeah, by the way, also take some time either today or this week to dwell in the praise choruses of Revelation. Most Bibles set the choruses off. There's at least a dozen praise choruses. This is what God is due all because of his wonderful mercy in that Jesus came to save sinners. So let's put a wrap on this passage. Christ Jesus the Lord strengthens those with faith in him in order to serve him by his mercy, even great sinners who have opposed him due to ignorance. And all of this is because his grace is overflowing. He came to save sinners. And his mercy shows his patience to those who believe on him in to life eternal honor and glory are due to the only sovereign God Jesus came to save sinners